Before I get started, though, I do want to kind of tell you a little bit. Um, first, thank you, pastors, for inviting me here tonight. Um, when I first got the call from, I believe it was Pastor Rhonda, uh, called me several months back and asked, or you know, asked, could I block off this time on my calendar that y'all were sort of had this in your heart. I was honored. I was excited, um, but a little shocked because y'all have seen this hot mess express <laughs> for the last 16 years. And there's still a part of me, and I'm going to get into it tonight, there's still a part of me that has to, has to fight that voice that says you'll never be qualified. There's that part of me that says you're an imposter. Who do you think you are? And so even when my pastor said, hey, do you want to come minister? I'm like, Maybe they got the wrong number. Maybe they didn't mean that. Maybe they were just trying to be polite about, you know, all these things. So, but it is an honor to be here. Um, so quick, a few places where you can find me. Pastor's already shared a little bit about what I do. Um, if you listen to podcasts, just search out the Laura Mayer podcast. It's really easy to find. Um, what I speak on there, what the Lord, the area of ministry that the Lord has called me to is the area of the soul. God wants his people to be healthy in their minds, in their desires, and in their emotions. And that's the area of our lives where we take the most damage is that middle man. And so that's what every week, just about every week, sometimes I'm, I don't get those episodes out quite on time, but every week that's what you're going to get in your, in your, um, in your podcast app. And if you are not familiar with podcasts, because I know we have lots of different generations represented in here, which is one of the things I love about my church. I love that we look like heaven here, right? Different generations, different nationalities, different cultures represented. It kind of makes me think of heaven. So if, if podcasts are something you're not really familiar with, um, I have a table in the back. Miss Ashley's going to be back there after service. There's a QR code you can scan. She can walk you through how to do that or just help you find it on your phone if that's something you're interested in doing. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, all the stuff. I don't want to, I'm not going to spend any more time talking about that because I got stuff to say. Okay. Getting ready for tonight. I said, Lord, the word I, I have been hearing for months was surrender. And I think it's interesting that Sunday, Pastor Rhonda, the Lord instructed her to build a memorial, to memorialize what God has done to this point. But then I started thinking about it last night. You know, oftentimes in the Old Testament, memorials sometimes were stacks of stones, just a place that when you walked back by, you could remember what the Lord had done. But sometimes altars were used as memorials unto God. There was a sacrifice involved. What's on top of an altar? A sacrifice. So Sunday, an altar was built. Sunday, a memorial was built, celebrating what the Lord has done. And then Sunday night, Pastor Robert got up and started teaching on obedience. And then uh, Monday night, Pastor Belinda got up and started teaching on honor. Are you hearing the sacrifice here? And then last night, Raquel got up and started teaching on the kingdom of God on the inside of you, coming out of you. And then tonight, what the Lord told me to teach you is teach them how to surrender. So God's prepared, we've prepared an altar and memorial, and now we're going to uh, crawl up on it. Okay? That's what we're doing tonight. So I need hearts ready, hearts open. There's an anointing on my life to bring freedom. That is the call that God has placed on me. Your call is what you are, is, is your purpose here on earth. It might show up different. You, your vocation may shift and change within that call, but you are doing that same thing. It is still all a part of the umbrella of the call. So the call of my life is to impart freedom wherever I go. So there is freedom in this room because he comes to perform the word. If you need freedom in an area, especially in your mind, your will, your emotions, have your heart open. The atmosphere is electric. So have heart open, ready to receive. And I'm believing for chains to fall off tonight, for him to do heart surgery while you're sitting in the seats. How does that sound? Okay. So... I need to teach you something about the human heart. You were designed by God for connection. You're designed for relationship. You're designed for connection. That's why your brain on brain scans actually lights up when you see someone you love enter a room because it lights up. There's a connection there. But when we're wounded in life, 
your brain actually rewires and you go from connection to protection. And this is a defense mechanism that the Lord equipped you with to keep you safe. But the thing that at one point kept you safe, if that wall never comes down, it will be the thing that destroys you. Because you were wired for connection. You're not meant to stay in a perpetual state of self-protection. So we have a lot of believers that are listening to the word. They want to walk in freedom. They want to walk in prosperity. They're believing for their healing, but it always seems just out of reach. And it's because you're trying to do it in self-protect mode. You're trying to do it behind a wall. Let me play the part. Let me say the confessions. Let me do what's expected of me. But I'm going to do it from a safe place because I've been wounded before. And I just don't think I can survive to be wounded again. So we stay behind protection. And it causes us to not surrender. It causes us to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. So the Lord said there's a war for your surrender. There's specific people in here. I know, I know this applies to all of us, but there are specific people in here and I've been praying for you today. The Lord showed me your faces and I'm not going to call you out. But I have been praying for your surrender because your freedom is on the other side of your surrender. Amen. And there's a war for it. So the three things I'm going to teach you tonight. Number one, I'm going to teach you what surrender looks like. I'm going to tell you part of my story. Number two, I'm going to teach you why surrender works. I want you to understand the legalities behind it. Did you know I thought I was going to be an attorney when I grew up, when I was little? That was what I wanted to do my whole life. My degree is in political science. I was going to go to Washington, D.C. and just save the world. That was the plan, and then it didn't happen like that. <laughs> um, but I've always loved government. And you t you've preached about this before, how there was a, 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 a line that connects the different things you wanted to do in your life and, and there was a familiar thread, and you realized it was that teaching and that apostolic gift. So even as a child, I loved government. I hate politics, love government. That is not the same thing. So no wonder I'm, I'm passionate when I'm studying about covenant. I love understanding the legalities of my position in Christ. So you're going to learn what surrender looks like. You're going to learn why surrender works. And then we're going to talk about what happens when we surrender. There's good news for you tonight. All right, I'm going to tell some of my story. And I actually typed it out in case I get um, off track. But I'm not going to because the Lord's going to help me. So... Uh, just briefly, as a child, I loved the Lord. My heart was always soft towards Him. I remember I would spend hours swinging on my swing set, listening to my Walkman. A lot of times I was listening to the latest Carmen cassette, if anybody remembers Carmen, who's in the house, JC. Okay, well, that was my, I knew the moves. I knew the moves. It was good stuff. So I was on my swing set, and I would just sing, and I would spend hours worshiping my Jesus. Little did I know that that was going to keep me in my life. So even in my teenage years, I didn't veer off and get into some of the stuff that a lot of my peers were getting into. And I got made fun of a lot for being the goody two-shoes or whatever you want to say. But my motivation was I didn't want to hurt God's heart. There were things I said no to because I knew it would hurt Him. And I loved Him. And He loved me right back. And knowing you're loved is intoxicating I wasn't going to do anything to jeopardize that. I wasn't going to do anything to hurt his heart. But then a lot of things happened in my life, and I didn't really have the tools to know how to deal with those things. Not everybody has good motives. Not everybody is pure in intention. And so I ended up being collateral damage to a lot of other people's unhealed wounds. Right? And so fast forward, um, uh, there was just a string of blows, one thing after another, and then finally went through something that should have been the final punch. And I know that was the plan of hell, for it to be the final punch. It should have taken me out because it involved my Jesus, because it involved a church. You know, spiritual abuse is a real thing, and it is extra sinister 
because it starts attacking how you view God. Two things happen when attacks happen in your life. The enemy is going to come after how you view yourself and how you view your father. What are you going through in your life right now? Is that not true? Is what you're going through causing you to doubt yourself, doubt your identity, doubt who you are, maybe even question how God made you, that, even that part of our identity? Even that part, right? When bombs go off, you question everything. And then it also causes you to question the heart of God. And that's what happened, and that's why this was so extra sinister, because Scripture had been twisted against me to control me and to manipulate me by, by a shepherd who did not have the heart of the shepherd. And I was so young, I didn't know. So walking away from that situation, when you walk away from abuse, you feel like the dirty, broken, worthless one. And I felt completely unusable by God, and that had actually been spoken over me. I was told that they would see to it. I was never in ministry again. I'd been the youth pastor. I was the lead worship leader, and I'd worked in the church office. And that because I was such a bad sheep, I would never be in worship again, and they would see to it. Sounds like hell talking, doesn't it? So... Leaving that situation, um, at that point in my life, I was 21 years old. And I was a young wife, college student. And for the first time in my life, I was out of church. That felt different. I was raised on the pew. And I remember when uh, we escaped that situation, I remember talking to the Lord and saying, God, we're still friends, but we're going to be friends from a distance. Because I don't know if I can trust you because this person who was supposed to represent you in a, in a sense in my life says all this stuff about me. Is that what you believe about me too? But what about those years on the swing set? But you loved me, but why? I don't understand. And so we were going to be friends, but we were going to be friends from a distance. And the Lord was so gracious with me. He does not break a bruised reed. When you are in your wounded places, he does not look at you and say, why don't you get it together? That's not the heart of a loving father. Let that be restored to you. That is not the heart of, you want to know the heart of God, just look at the fruits of the Spirit. It can't be the fruit of the Spirit in you if it is not in him. If he is not love, if he is not joy, if he is not peace, if he's not long-suffering, if he's not kindness, and if anybody has said anything different to you, they lie. But he was able to get across to me, and he said, Laura, I want you to study out the word love. And I'm like, Lord, that has nothing to do with what I'm going through. That is off topic and a waste of my time. And he said, no, no, no. I don't want you, I want you to study out scriptures, how much I love you. You're not allowed to study out any scriptures about how much you're supposed to love other people. That's what he told me. You're not allowed. Because that had been one of the things that had been used against me. Manipulation was told to me that if I was walking in love, I would have unquestioned obedience. So therefore, I was out of love if I didn't have unquestioned obedience. So the Lord got that straight. And he said, you're not allowed to study anything about how much you're supposed to love others. Constantly this pouring out, giving out, self-sacrificing type of love that gets in a ditch if it's not balanced with the word. He said, I want you to study out how much I love you. So I did that. I had an old desktop computer. Does anybody have those? I don't know. And I Googled it and, and I just and put it in a, in a document. And I read those scriptures every day. First day, didn't do nothing. And then I read them again. Every day I would read those scriptures because that's what my father had told me to do. And slowly it started, it was like God had me in triage. Let's just stop the bleeding. Let's get this one thing straight. It was going to be the foundation of everything else I would build from there is how much I am desperately loved by my heavenly father and you are Two, I do not know your story. 
but he does and he loves you. He knew your story before he ever died for you. Whoever lied to you and said that somehow your ship has sailed because of things done to you or things you have done or decisions you've made, that's not the gospel. So he started putting me back together. And so we were in triage, but we were, I was out of church for two years. And then I had a friend. Um, I couldn't even walk into a church without bursting out in tears. And it wasn't just um, my mind, my actual body. You know, our bodies hold trauma responses. And my actual body would start shutting down and I would be shaking and I couldn't breathe just trying to get in the foyer of a church. Because I had had nightmares about this person coming and, yeah, uh, I don't be graphic, but like um, murdering me in my sleep. This was, this was the dynamic of this relationship. And so, um, but I had a friend who was very persistent and she kept inviting me to this little church in Madison that was in an A-frame. And that was almost an hour drive from my house. So I was not interested. But this friend kept talking to me and she shared something with me that I'd never heard of before. And she said, Laura, instead of looking for your church and praying for the Lord to show you who your church is, pray for him to show you who your pastor is. I never heard of that before, but it made a lot of sense. And at this point, I had a nine-month-old baby, almost nine months old, and I knew I wanted to raise her to know the Lord, and I wanted her to be in church. And so I finally came to this little church that you kind of had to be lost to find it, um, in an A-frame. And, and it was the Sunday before Thanksgiving of 2007. And for the first time in two years, when I walked through the doors of a foyer, I felt safe. And it's because I felt real love. I felt the heart of the shepherd in that place. Not a place that looks at you as a sheep for the lamb chops and the wool that they can get out of you. But your value as a sheep. So we started attending on a more regular basis. And I did not speak to Pastors Mark and Rhonda Garber for two years. That is possible. Even in that tiny little A-frame with all the hallways, I remember one Sunday in particular, I, I was going to pick up a kid from nursery, and I saw you coming, and I was like, nope, I think, I'm, I think I need to go to the bathroom all of a sudden. Avoided you because pastors weren't safe. No one pushed me. No one pressured me. I wasn't hounded to sign up for nursery. None of those things. I sat in the back row and I started healing because the anointing breaks the yoke. No one knew my story. There was so much shame. I wasn't going to tell anybody. Do you know something that's so cool about the anointing? That word in the original language is fatness. And it's the oil. It's like the good oils. You know, not the trans fat kind of stuff, but like the good oils. <laughs> and so... It says the yoke, the anointing will break the yoke that is around your neck. It's not, yes, the anointing, we have, we have moments and services where the anointing externally snaps that stuff off. But what started happening in my life is I started getting stronger on the inside. I started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that yoke had to snap off because I outgrew it. That is why it is so important to feed on the word, feed on what he says. I don't even know where I'm at here. We're going to find it. So fast forward, and I was sitting on the back row, um, because that's kind of where I, that's where I hung out. I was in the back row at least. And we were singing a song, and the words were, my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. All those. And I was singing, and my hands were raised, and all this stuff. And the Holy Spirit's timing. He knows when you're ready. And there will be a challenge when you're ready. Every level that God calls you to involves an altar. But it's a good place to be. And he said in the middle of the song, Laura, you don't mean that. I thought that was a little salty for him to say that. And so I started to argue, and then he didn't argue back. And I'm like, okay, fine, you're right. 
My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself away. See what had happened. Remember I explained how the human human heart is designed for connection, but when you've been wounded, you wall up for protection. What I had done is I'd, I had made a little wall of protection in a corner. And the Lord told me that. He said, you're in a corner and you feel safe in your corner because you're in control, right? But he said, you can't do life from the corner. And he said, I've got some things I want to get to you and some things I'm wanting to get through you, but I can't do it until you learn to free fall. I can't do it. You know, anytime the Lord is asking more from you, anytime, because he is a just God. Anytime he's asking more from you, it's so he can get more to you and through you. What is he asking more from you? It's an invitation for more. It's an invitation for growth. It's, yeah, it feels scary, the unknown, but I can't imagine anything scarier than staying where you're at. Did you like you like that? You want to stay there? Okay, let's do something different. And so he said, there's some things I want to get to you and get through you, but but you all but but you gotta to learn to free fall. And then he reminded me of those youth group games. You know the trust fall game where you do this, your friend, you hope they're your friend, stands behind you and you fall. And I have no idea what the youth pastor is trying to teach you right there. I'm sure there's a really great lesson. Trusting the Lord, something, yes. But I hated that exercise because I liked control. I hated that. And so the Lord said, he said, Laura, that's how you do with me. And you usually end up falling, but you do it with tensed muscles. Not quite sure if he's actually going to keep his word. Not quite sure if he tells the truth. Because the other people in my life hadn't. And so we tend to, to project our experiences with other people on our Heavenly Father. It's time we get that clear and straight. So he said, you've got to let go of the tensed muscles or you just fall. And then he brought me to the verse in Isaiah where it says that you shall mount up on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. But he showed me that before you can soar, you've got to fall. Before, before he can send that wind up underneath you to carry you and soar, you've got to first go. You've got to plunge off the cliff, cliff for the wind to come up underneath you. And you know what? I decided that where I was at in my life wasn't too great and comfortable. So what did I have to lose at this point? I was miserable. I was not bleeding anymore. The hemorrhaging has, had stopped. But, but I, the things that he had told me as a child on the swing set were still in there. Because the gifts and call are without repentance. And so I left church that day a dead man. Dead men don't have opinions. I decided I was giving up in the best way. I decided I was surrendering. I was deciding my life was not my own, but to him I would belong and I would give myself away and maybe he could do something with this. That I had royally screwed everything up, but maybe he could take it and do something with it and it seemed like maybe that's what he wanted to do or he wouldn't have asked me about that. So I, I left church that day different. I didn't tell anybody. I have no idea what you preached. I'm sure it was great that Sunday, whatever it was. But, but the Lord had been talking to the whole service. That's what he and I were talking about. And so the next morning I woke up and I said, okay, Lord, how do we do this free fall thing? I don't, you know, I'm ready to go. How do we do it? First day of work. I don't know my job, you know. And um, he said, just stay connected and hooked to me all day. And when I tell you to do something, let's just do this little dance. Let's just practice. So it's like, okay, I can do that. So I just felt like, you know, I wanted to read my Bible. So I did that. And then I would ask for his help and his leading. I had two small toddlers at the time. Uh, Claire wasn't born. And he would, he began to help me, you know, balancing our checkbook, um, ordering my day, helping me schedule nap time, the things that were important to my life. He started doing life with me because I started letting him do life with me. That wall of protection was coming down. Instead, I was surrendering to him in my life. And so we started doing that for a while. And then it started growing out of that. And this was really, really fun. And my, I realized I had been listening and hearing the voice of the Lord all along, but I had been talking myself out of it and telling myself it was just me, right? 
And then it started growing into assignments and things outside of my home. The Lord would start saying, hey, I need you to go by goodwill. Well, Lord, I don't need anything. No, I just need you to go by there. So sure enough, I would. I'd walk in. Oh, I hadn't seen her in a while. And she was in a crisis. And, and, and I'm a laborer that had been brought across her path. So ministry assignments started happening so many times. It was, and it wasn't like the awkward cold call kind of prayers for people on the, on the sidewalks. It was divine appointments where words of knowledge started flowing through me with the guy, you know, at the store and, and just me being on mission from God. And, and so I had learned to flow with him in my regular life. I, how I learned, a lot of how I learned was in Walmart parking lot, asking God where to park. And I would practice listening to which aisle to go down because I figured if I got it wrong, the stakes were low. (laughs) That's how I started practicing listening to his voice. And then it, it became easy to give that person a word of knowledge because I knew whose voice had told me to do it. And anytime he asked you to do something, he never asked you to go first. He always asked you to go second because he's already gone ahead of you and prepared the way. So he's already in the space, and I would just walk into the space of where he was. And so, so many cool things started happening. And then I started saying, okay, Lord, if you want anything done on this earth, I'm your girl. Ask me. We'll do it together. He said, I want you to go to Bible Institute. Okay, Lord, we live a long way away. That's all right. I want you to go to Bible Institute. So I did. And then, and I'm going to speed through this part, but... um, Then out of that, while I was in Bible Institute, is when he downloaded the entire business plan to start a nonprofit called Clothe Our Kids. Uh, We actually will have our 10-year anniversary next week. And um, over, we we work through the school system by providing clothing and shoes to children in need um, when we get requests from teachers and caseworkers with the Department of Children's Services and things like that in in Tennessee where I live. And um, to this, to date, we have, there's seven locations that have spurred off of the original one. And over 15,000 children have been clothed. Yeah, yeah. So remember, remember how God said, there's some things I want to get to you and through you, but I can't do it. So, so as I was walking with him, when you're real close to somebody, you know, even a baby, when you're holding a baby, their heartbeat starts getting in rhythm with your heartbeat. When you walk close to the Lord, your heart starts beating for what his heart beats for. So clothe our kids was important to his heart. He's the one that started it. And then he's also the one that two weeks into it, he told me that I would birth it, but not raise it. And there would be a day that I would hand it off because he had some other stuff he needed me to do. So everything, building it for those years, seven years before I handed the baton to our new director, was uh, making good notes so that the trade-off would be smooth. And so when it was time, and she's doing phenomenal with it. She's doing great. Out of that leading, he told me to go to school of ministry. That's when I put up the biggest fight. I was mad. I was furious that God had asked me. You know, anger is the second emotion. You never feel anger first. So if you're feeling angry, sit with the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what's underneath that anger? And for me, it was complete terror and fear. And then we respond out of anger, out of that self-protection place. I was in a place where I was going to have to choose, was I going to continue living under the words that were spoken over me that I would never be in ministry again? Or was I going to choose to surrender to the call of God on my life? There was a war for my surrender. And I put it off, put it off, put it off. And the last second of the deadline, I think I had to hand my application into you, Pastor BT. I think you were the one in charge of it. I don't remember if it was you or LaJoyce at that time. Because I just remember I was mad. And I remember first service was already over. It was in the van. I was going to drive away. And the Lord said, you will be in deliberate disobedience. (laughs) In my house growing up, deliberate disobedience. Am I not right, Miller? That got you a whooping. (laughs) Every time. My mom was so great at teaching and explaining. But rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And whippings were involved. And so the Lord used specific words with me. You will be in deliberate disobedience. Okay, so I threw my application. I think it was at BT. I was like, here. 
and I stomped off. And then the enemy said, you're never going to get in. They're going to laugh when they see your application. This is ridiculous. You're embarrassing yourself. Like, well, I don't know. He just told me to do it, so I'm obeying. Fast forward all the things. There was a war for the surrender. But my family started healing. My life started changing. Out of that came him t- telling me how to, you know, to start the ministry, to start the podcast back in 2020. He reminded me that as a 13-year-old, one of the things that had been in my heart, um, whoever went to acquire the fire youth conferences? A few of you. Those were awesome. So there is a song about ask and I will give the nations to you. The ends of the earth is your possession. And I remember every time I would read that in Psalms, my heart would leap. And I remember as a 13-year-old girl saying, Lord, I don't even, this doesn't make sense to me, but you said if I would ask for the nations, you would give them to me. And there is something about that that lights my soul on fire. And I want the nations. And I don't know what it means and how I get them but I want them and I want to take them for the kingdom at 13. And the Lord reminded me of that when he had me start the podcast. And now that's, and I'm not saying all this is braggy. I want you to see what happens when you surrender and when you choose to quit living behind your wall of protection. And what if for a half second, you just believe that God keeps his word and you trust him. And when he says, step out, you just do it. And you get out of the boat, even if the ground is not there. Who has seen Indiana Jones in the last crusade? (laughs) Do you remember? Oh, it's a good movie. I have to watch it every now and then because it's just, you just get in the mood for it. So the part where he's trying to get to the Holy Grail and there's this huge, like abyss and he's going to have to step out onto nothing. I still love that part, even though I know it's going to happen. And he has to take the leap of faith. And when he takes the step, something, the ground is actually there and catches him. And then, you know, the the camera shifts and you can see what, what he was standing on. That's what the Lord is asking of you tonight. Where is he saying, step out? The ground is there. You just can't see it with your natural eyes. But in order to get across, in order to get across that river and, and let, let me close the enemy up behind you, you've got to be willing to step out into nothingness. But, but I'm with you and I'm holding you up. And what do you have to lose? There's a war for your surrender. So the podcast started growing. It's being listened to now in 29 nations, which is just so super cool to me because some of these nations, I wonder how they understand my Southern accent, (laughs) but they're listening. The Lord prompted me in February to go to the Asbury Revival. I had to get there. I remember it was like, I've got one night at dinner. I was telling my kids about what was happening in Asbury. And I looked at Brian and I was like, hey, I really want to go. Hey, we need to go. Hey, we're going. And I think I said it in one breath. We're going. And we loaded up and we went because I wanted to see if he was there. I knew I would recognize. The moment I got out of my car and I stepped foot on that property, I was like, oh, you're here. This is you. Okay, this is you. And he prompted me to do a live video that night on my Facebook just to let my friends, let you guys in on what I was seeing. And that video went viral and was watched by 2 million people. And then I had people messaging me from Australia and all over the globe telling me how they're weeping in their car at the anointing that's coming through the screen as I'm telling them what I'm seeing. And the Lord reminded me, you ask for the nations. And in this digital world, just obey what he tells you to do. You do not have to understand it. You don't have to figure out all the parts. Did you know that your job is just the obedience? His job is the details. But if you're so busy doing his job of the details, he can't do your job of the obedience. So if you just obey and leave the rest of it up to him. Okay. That's enough about that. So... Why does surrender work? Surrender is your side of the covenant. So in a covenant, the two parties involved understand that it's all of me for all of you. I hold nothing back. You hold nothing back. That is covenant. So when God gives you all of him in his side of the covenant, 
Your response is all of you. It activates the covenant in your life. When you live in surrender, when you live in a place of God, I'm going to stay connected to you and not keep this wall of protection up. That's a contract. Contracts are written with protection in mind. It's all about how can I protect my own self and my own assets? We're going to make sure we write it out. Covenant doesn't function like that. Go to Galatians 2.20. Y'all having fun? I'm having fun. Galatians 2.20 in the Amplified Classic. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul telling you about his surrender. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, I'm a dead man walking, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adherence to and reliance on and complete trust, trustful in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul understood surrender. What, did, what happened through Paul? Most of the New Testament was written through him. We would not be where we are. We would not have the word we have if it was not for him being willing to say, I no longer live. My life is not my own, but to you I belong. I give myself away. You know, Mark 8, uh, 34 through 37 talks about taking up your cross. It says, if, if anyone intends to come after me, let him deny himself, forget, ignore, disown, and lose sight of himself in his own interest, interest and take up his cross and joining me as a disciple and siding with my party. Let me pause right there. In 2020, the Lord started talking to me about divided allegiance. Those were big words. Divided allegiance, and he was telling me that his body that our surrender was coming under, under fire. Our surrender was being pulled on to join this faction and join this faction and get mad with these people. And oh, this looks like a real good reason to get mad. Let's get mad over here. Our allegiance began to be divided. Instead of I answer to one, I identify first before I identify as any political party, before I identify as any race, any belief, any, any of all this stuff. Goodness gracious, there's so many identifiers out there now. Just throw them all away and put them all surrendered all into first I know Christ, Him crucified. That is who I am. And everything else has to come up under that. Amen. Everything has to or you will not get to walk in covenant benefits in that area of your life. This is life and death. Where is your allegiance? When Jesus says to take up our cross and follow him, it's an invitation to surrender. He's saying, take up your surrender. You know, Jesus had to surrender in the garden. He had an option. He could have said no. Or else he would have never prayed, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, let it pass from me. That would be kind of like wasted words. That means he had an option. But he chose to say, my life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself away. And because of his sacrifice, he was seed sown that multiplied and we became the fruit. Do you know why scripture says that it pleased the Lord that Jesus be crucified? Do you know why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. He had to be happy in his seed sown because he wanted a harvest. It pleased the Lord when he sowed his true seed as a seed for us. Whoa, like, goodness. So covenant is all of God for all of me, but it's also all of me, and I get all of God. God was pleased even with Abraham. I'm going to jump through this because Abraham withheld nothing. So let's look at what happens when we surrender. Y'all, this is my favorite part. 
Because the way the world thinks, we think that if we give up something, it's gone. But remember, we operate in a different kingdom. Different principles work for us. And so the Bible says anything we lose for the cause of Christ is more than made up for. Remember, if he's asking anything from you, it's because he wants to get more to you and more through you. So let me tell you some things that have happened in my life as a result of surrender. And let me go ahead and put this little blurb in here too. Your frustration level is directly related to your surrender level. The higher you are in your frustration in your life because stuff isn't working, check your surrender level. Okay, this is helpful. I'm not, this is not me fussing. I do this with me when I'm feeling frustrated. It's like, oh wait, where's my surrender level? Because when I live surrendered, the frustration goes. Because then I have shifted back into my new nature of living and doing and have my being in him. So I'm doing life from this place of fullness. I'm showing up in a place with all the fullness of God in me, kingdom coming as opposed to showing up empty in a place because I'm trying to meet my own needs without God. That's all legalism is. Man trying to meet his own needs without God. And so we, we design this form of godliness. How many of us click over into, into that legalism mode, sometimes even during the week? When you find yourself striving to do something in your own effort, you've just clicked over into legalism. It's that false gospel that Paul's talking about in Galatians. The entire book of Galatians, talking about the false gospel, is legalism versus love. It's connection versus protection. Because when you're operating in love and you know who you are in Christ, there's a, you're, you're, you do life from this connection-based, knowing that everything I need I am connected to. It's a covenant mentality that all that I need, all of heaven is backing me up. All that I need already belongs to me. I do life from a place instead of for a place. But when I step over and do life in legalism, it's self-protection. I'm still trying to do the song and dance on the outside to make it look like I'm in faith. But my posture on the inside is one of I don't really kind of trust God. It's really an orphan mindset. Orphans don't know if they have anybody backing them up. They have to meet their own needs. They can only count on number one. But when you do life in a family, you're not, you're not in that fight mode. Okay, all healing work. Be, okay, so what happens in surrender? Restoration and healing happens. All healing work begins with surrender. You cannot heal from what you do not surrender because it's part of that covenant exchange. Remember, all of you, even the ugly parts, for all of him to get the whole parts. So restoration and healing happens. It's just like Joseph where I'm sure he said, Lord, I don't understand why I have been sold into slavery. My surroundings are nowhere near what I dreamed for them to be. He had dreams for his life. And I'm sure it did not involve Egypt. Probably didn't. This is not what I thought this was going to look like, but I'm going to surrender it to you. This is not the story I would have written for my life. To be, this, this, the story I live out is not the one I may have written for my life. But man, it's a good one because stamped all over it is the redemption of God. He can turn a story. So Joseph said, I'm going to surrender this to you. And when you do that, watch God use your life. Multiply the grace on it and use you to reverse the same curse for others. Joseph was sold into slavery. Isn't it kind of cool that the Lord used him to rescue people? He was a slave and the Lord used him to rescue people out of slavery. Super cool. Because he surrendered. Restoration and healing happens in surrender. Rescue happens. Anybody in this room need to be rescued out of a situation that's way bigger than you are? Just like the, oh, I love this part. Just like the Hebrew boys that were thrown into the fire. They knew that they were not shifting their allegiance. Who they surrendered to. 
They had already made up their mind and there was pressure on them to shift those alliances. But they said no and that they were willing to go wherever that led them. Sometimes when you have chosen to follow God and that your life is not your own, but to Him you belong, you will find yourself in places where that allegiance is tested And it would be a lot easier just to kind of go with the flow. But they had made up their mind ahead of time that their allegiance was not for sale. I told you, when you know you're loved, it's intoxicating. Not selling out for nobody. Jesus literally came and was walking with them in the fire. That's what he does. When you walk into a place from a surrendered place, even if you're like, I don't know what's fixing to happen, but I'm not changing who my faith is in, Jesus shows up in that space with you. Let me show you something so cool that happened, though. If you go to Daniel chapter 3, I love this part. I just love the word. It's so good. Daniel chapter 3. It says in verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, saw and was astounded, and he jumped up and said to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered him, True, O king. He answered, Behold, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth, is like a son of God. You know, I think it's interesting. The Bible says that their clothes didn't burn, that they didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that fell off was what bound them. When you walk through fire surrendered, the only thing that's going to fall off is the stuff that doesn't need to be there. So rescue happens. Transformation happens. This is what I like to call God's great recycling plan. Have you been struggling to get free from something? Just surrender it. Quit trying to work hard. This is not a work hard gospel. You weren't saved by works. You can't get free by works. You were saved by surrender. You keep, you keep your freedom by surrender. By continually just saying, Lord, I'm just going to do life with you. You tell me what to do today, we're going to do it. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to start leading you in some amazing things. He's going to start bringing information to you, tools to you you didn't know about. He's going to start surrounding you with people to teach you things you didn't know. And you're going to walk in freedom at such deep levels because you're, you're doing the dance with Him. Did you know even addictions are... Let me back up. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. Ask anybody that works in the recovery community. The opposite of addiction is relationship. People go to addiction because of the wounds in their heart when they tried to stay in that connection mode that they were created for, and they were wounded so much that they had to rewire for protection and they had to numb out with something. But when these people start getting free, it's because God starts restoring godly relationships in their life, the first one being the one with Him. And addictions have to fall off. Let me tell you something else about scars. I like to talk about this in this transformation portion. That when we give things to God, we surrender and they have to leave our hands. Your story has to leave your hands for a, for a moment. There's a surrender that's there that whatever's happened to you, it has to leave your hands for a time. And to where you give it to God and you say, God, whatever you decide to do with this or not do with this is fine with me. He recycles it. It takes on a new form. Molecularly, molecularly. There's some similarities there, but it looks different. It has a different purpose and he puts it back in your hands. He puts that very thing back in your hands to use it to set other people free. He recycles what you've been through. Sometimes there's scars involved with that. Go over to Galatians 6, 17. 
Sometimes the enemy would love to shame you for the scars that you wear, whether they're physical or on your heart and you feel too broken for God to ever use again. You feel like there's parts of you that are shameful that you need to keep hidden. Let me tell you what Paul talks about with scars. From now on, let no person trouble me. I'm in Galatians 6, 17. By making it necessary for me to vindicate my apostolic authority and divine truth of the gospel. For I bear on my body the brand marks of the Lord Jesus, the wounds, scars, and other outward evidence of persecutions. These testify of his ownership of me. The Lord taught me something about scars because there were some things I was embarrassed about, some things I didn't want people to know. And then he showed me how Jesus wasn't embarrassed about his scars. So why should I be embarrassed about mine? Because scars are simply proof that death didn't win. That's all that is. It's a wound with a story. It's proof death did not win. It's proof that you didn't quit. It's proof that your allegiance did not divide. You didn't cave. And that you belong to a God who keeps his words. Let me just show you. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. So transformation happens. And the last one is that power happens where there is surrender, where there is sacrifice. Or where there is surrender, there is sacrifice. This is going to cause some sacrifice in your life. But where there is sacrifice, there is fire. And where there's fire, there's the power of God. When you see somebody on fire in your life, somebody that you would refer to in our, in our Christianese as, whoo, they're on fire. Let me tell you, there is sacrifice in that. Because they've chosen to crawl up on an altar and surrendered themselves to him. Why? Why, is this call, why does this bring power? Because Matthew 5, 5 says that the meek inherit the earth. Well, what does that have to do with it? What's meek? Meek, isn't that like weak? No. Meekness is power under control. Or another way of saying this is my power that I have surrendered under his control. That is meek. When you read the word meek in Scripture... Just use the synonym surrendered. The surrendered inherit the earth because they're participating in the great exchange of power. I'm surrendering my power to yours. And in, in reply, I get your power. So there's the exchange. It's a covenant exchange. You don't make the impossible happen. We're praying about move the immovable, break the unbreakable, the impossible happen. You don't make the impossible happen. You surrender to the impossible happening because then he can flow through you and there's more of him than of you. And you live and move and have your being in Him. And so even in your daily choices, I remember one time I was on Facebook and I was scrolling. And you know those clickbait articles that pop up? It was a clickbait article and it was um, somebody had left someone else on the altar because they had cheated or something. And it was like, click here to read what the response was from the groom or the bride, whoever it was. And of course, I'm like, ooh, there's some tea there. There's some drama. Let's see what that is about. And the Holy Spirit said, protect the anointing. Protect the anointing. See, I live surrendered. My life is not my own. You are simply a pipe for the spirit and the power of God to flow through. The junk you put in clogs the pipe. There's things that I don't participate in, not because they're sin necessarily, but they're not worth it to me. I want to live at a space so surrendered that the power of God and the anointing of God and, and the kingdom can flow through me. I don't care what that article says. 
It's not worth it. What do you let yourself off the hook for and that you do and you dabble in because it's not that big of a deal? And if you have to spend more than 30 seconds explaining why it's okay for you to do it, it's probably better just to not do it. I don't know, protect the anointing or not. Do you want the Lord to flow through you? Do you want to be a conduit for his power? It's a lot of fun. Let me tell you, it's a lot of fun. Whatever I've given up is so worth it. So, so worth it. This is why in Matthew 17, 21, when Jesus is saying, when he's talking to the disciples and they weren't able to cast a demon out of someone, Jesus said, this one only comes out through prayer and fasting. What does prayer and fasting do? It keeps your flesh under. It's a position of surrender. And you being under him. When you live at a level of surrender, demons have to flee. Because it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we've learned that surrender is declaring that your life is not your own. And it works because it's our side of the covenant. And when you surrender, when you seek him and his kingdom, restoration, healing, rescue, transformation, and power happens. I believe our church is in a place where we're at a kind of a crossroads. I love that we're at this 30-year mark. We've heard the promises. We're hungry for his presence. There's an invitation for you to not miss out on a single drop of it. It feels super scary when you're so used to living in this mode of protection. And on the outside, everybody would go, oh yeah, they're awesome. They love the Lord. They're at Sunday service all the time. So was I. And I could have continued going on like that. You know, that position of surrender that the Lord taught me and uh, when he taught me to free fall, I realized what he was doing. He was teaching me how to dance again, to swing again on that swing set with him, where I just trusted him. And he was teaching me that I could trust my dance partner. So just a couple of years ago, once again, I was in a situation that I was between a rock and a hard place, and it looked like I had one of two decisions to make. And I'm saying, Lord, what do I do? And he said, there's a third option. Just dance with me. Do you remember those years where you just did what I said to do? And at each crossroads, you just pivoted here, and you did the next thing. You did the next thing. He didn't tell me big picture what was going to happen. All he said, just dance with me. He said, lock eyes with me so tight. Eyes on me. It's what Pastor Belinda said Sunday night, Monday night. And he reminded me of a boss that I had years ago named Mr. Beal. Um, we were at a Christmas party. Mr. Beal was uh, kind of a grandfatherly figure to me. He owned the, the little gift shop that I worked at when I was in college. And it was a Christmas party. And it was the kind of Christmas party where they were playing like old-fashioned, like big band kind of music. And the couples were out there doing real dancing, like they both knew the steps. I'd never seen that. And I was just sitting at a table, and Mr. Bill, in his gentlemanly way, asked me if I wanted to dance. I said, oh, Mr. Bill, I don't know how to dance. I don't know how to do any of that. He said, that's okay, I know how. Okay, I trusted him. So um, I got up and he explained, you know, where I'm supposed to put my arm, hand, and is it okay if he put his hand here? I was like, yes, and okay. And then we started to dance. And I'm spending the whole time looking at my feet, trying to figure out and anticipate where his feet are about to go, trying to dance with Mr. Bill. And he stopped me, he's like, no, um, it's my job to lead, I'm the man, I'm gonna lead in, in this dance. He said, you just look at my face. When you feel my body shift, just shift with me. Just breathe, relax, eyes on me, shift when you feel me shift. So I started doing that. 
and before you knew it, I was dancing, and I felt so pretty, and this was so fun. <laughs> he was teaching me in real time how to dance, and the Lord reminded me of Mr. Bill. He said, eyes on me. When you feel me shift, shift with me. Don't look around. Don't look at the wind and the waves. You're about to dance on water. And I am going to dance you into a new place. And you're not going to even be able to explain how you got there because you were so busy looking at me, you weren't even looking around. And let me tell you, God is faithful to his word. There's no way in the natural I should think she'll look very different. You know, when I was dancing, realizing I'm not sinking, but I'm just gonna keep my eyes on you. I'm not sinking. This should take me out, but it's not. I'm still above, I'm still above ground. Like the, because eyes were on him. There's an altar of surrender in everything that God's called you to do. There is surrender he's asking of you because he's drawing you into a covenant exchange. It would be unsafe for you to step out and do any of these things in your heart that are in your heart, in your own strength anyway, without the safety of covenant. Surrender keeps you under his wings. He's asking for the mess so that he can give you the miracle. I believe the power of God is here working in hearts tonight. He told me that there was a battle for your surrender, but now you get to choose. And it's never too late to choose or you wouldn't be sitting in this room. He knew you'd be here. Are you going to stay in that self-protection mode of walls up? That you have to understand everything first before you're able to move forward? Or are you ready to just free fall? Moving to a place of connection with your Heavenly Father because you know it's in Him that you live and move and have your being.